Well, thanks for being here at Grace again. We thank you for coming and we're in a series called Ideal Family and we're noticing that sometimes we're living in the tension of the ideal and, and we are living here in the real. Anybody experience that, what we're talking about? And there's this tension, the gap sort of creates a tension and, and that's what we're talking about. We're trying to do family God's way and uh, we're excited about, about the series. Here's the thing, though. We can never give up the ideal because we're stuck in the real. I mean, as believers, we're trying to do God's ideal, and sometimes in some areas we get right up there and things are good, but we can't ever throw out the ideal because we get stuck down here in the real. Because the ideal, it's our northern star, it's our compass, it's our guide. And if we chuck that because we're frustrated, because we're here, then what that will do is we'll tend to spiral downward because we won't actually be focusing on something better and our families will suffer because of it. Well, as we've been talking about the ideal family, what I want to focus on today are the differences between men and women, husbands and wives, and the specific roles that God has called us to. And why different roles? Well, I believe it's because God created us different. Men and women are different by design, and we live in a culture today that where a lot of people are saying there's really no difference, there's really no difference, a little bit of plumbing difference, but that's about it. We're basically the same, but, but I believe, no, that we're more different than that. And it's interesting, as I do a lot of uh, marriage counseling and, and pre-marriage counseling, that when you talk to couples, I, I'm trying to explain this, and, and you see it, although we have a culture saying this doesn't happen, when we see husbands and wives, when we're in this, we see it all the time all around us. I'll be, one of our... When we do pre-marriage counseling, the last session is always all about the wedding ceremony. And we'll get into the details of the wedding ceremony. i got to tell you, the more detailed it gets, the guy's sitting there and he just like glazes over. It's just like, oh, you got to be kidding me. You know, there's so much stuff going on. And, and, and a lot of times it, it's, it's the, the bride that's all into these details. And, and so sometimes I give them this speech. Not always, but sometimes I say, you know, I, I just say... Men, the marriage ceremony is for the wife. So man up, just stand where she tells you to stand, wear what she tells you to wear, because she's been dreaming about this since she is 12 years old, what this wedding is going to look like. And then I'll say, ladies, the honeymoon is for the man. He's been dreaming about this since he was 12 years old. Just stand where he tells you to stand and wear what you know. it, it's just it's just different. I mean, people just view this. It's just it's it's the differences that we have. And it's amazing, it's because of these differences that you could be in marriage and everything's just sailing along great, and a simple question can derail you. You know, your marriage is great, you're having a great day together. And guys, maybe you've experienced this, your wife can walk up to you and say, hey, do you notice anything different about me? And you're like, uh, uh, and, and this feels like a trap. Yeah, it, doesn't, it doesn't even seem fair. 
To us, it feels like, hey, honey, come, come out to the car, and I'll pop the hood of the engine and point to your wife and, and look at the engine and say, notice anything different in, in there? Of course, don't ever use that because your wife will say she didn't give a rip about the engine. But we, as loving husbands, we care very, very, very much about whatever subtle, different mystery things going on in her life. So you don't use that. But it's just anything can derail just in, in the way we communicate and the way we value different things. And, and we, we just need to kind of get that. Well, God has given us specific instruction, really one main instruction for husbands and a different instruction for wives, and, and that's what we're going to get on. But before we get there, remember, I mentioned that the teaching on the family in the New Testament is wonderfully con concise. You can find it in Colossians chapter 3. Peter writes about it. You can find it in Ephesians chapter 5. It's very basic, but basically there are four things. We looked at them last time. It's uh, men, love your wives self-sacrificially. That's for husbands. Wives, submit to your own husband as you would to Christ. Children, obey your parents. Fathers, don't exasperate your children. So it's just very, very concise. I mean, very uh, just nuts and bolts what we can do. And you, usually our role is just one primary thing that we can do. Well... Obviously, we talked about one of these thing, of the four that I just mentioned is very politically incorrect today. And so there's, there's a lot of tension with what God's ideal is and, and how people feel about in our culture. And that's what we want to talk, to talk about. And we're going to deal with that right off the bat today. Wives, submit to your husbands. Then we'll get to husbands loving their wives self-sacrificially. But before we get to that, I want you to notice something. And that is, when God gives us this specific role, he, there is also a general principle of really the same thing that applies to all believers. So what am I talking about? Well, first of all, submission. Mutual submission is a principle for all believers but there, then there, but there is also a specific role on how this applies to wives in the family. So what am I talking about? Follow me here. There's a context in Ephesians 5 that leads up to wives submit to your husbands. And here's, here's how it goes. I want to pick all that up. Here's the paragraph before. So before we get to this specific instruction for wives and husbands, we have this context. Ephesians 5.18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. So that's, that's the transitional uh, sentence right here, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Now, before then he, then he gets to specifics. Wives do this, husbands do this. But before we get there, we see that this is a general principle that's for all believers, mutual submission. 
And, and so I was thinking about, after doing some reading and some research on this, how do we get this mutual submission? What does that look like in the family context? What's a simple way of just getting that under our belts? And, and basically, I think you could sum it up maybe with a question simply like this. That means mutual submission is just what if every member of the family went up to every other member of the family every day and said and, and asked this question, what can I do to help? You see, when you do that, you're submitting to that person. You're saying, how can I serve you? How can I help you? I believe if every person in the family asked this question of everyone else every day, it would change a lot of our family relationships. Just that one question. Think about that. Kids, teenagers, what if every day you walked up to your parents and you said, what can I do to help you? It'd blow their mind, right? I mean, they'd be like, what? Whoa. And if, as a matter of fact, if you really want to blow their mind, wait till your parents are hanging around with some of their friends. And, and when it's like a group setting, then in the middle of the group, go up to your parents and say, hey, uh, I was just on my way. Is there anything I can do for you? The friends will be like, you got to be kidding me. Wow, how do you do that? <laughs> Parents, what if every day we looked each of our children in the eye and said, hey, how can I help you today? What can I do for you? Wives, when you ask this question to husbands, when you say, hey, how can I help you today? What the husband hears in that is he hears, hey, I, I know that you have a, uh, a lot of demands on your life. I know that you're, you're trying to lead us. I know that, that you've got a lot of things going. And I just, I just want you to know that I'm here to support you, to help you go further, uh, to help you go uh, farther, faster. You know, is there anything I can do to help? And normally, the husband's just going to say, no, but thanks. Husbands, we're afraid of asking this question to our wives. Because we know when we go and say, honey, what can I do to help? She has a list of things that we haven't done. And, and so the honeydew list could come out. But, but so what? The things that need to be, they need to be done. So quit procrastinating and just, just kind of cowboy up and, and make it happen. I mean, just do it. And, and why do we not do it? Well, basically, it's just because we all have a propensity to selfishness. And we like our freedom. And we feel like asking this question will either um, send a signal we don't want to send or, or somebody will make a demand on us or it'll cost us time. I mean, guys, for us as our wives, you know, we're thinking, well, I'm, this is like saying, kiss my weekend goodbye. What can I do to help? But it shouldn't be that way. You know, we, we should ask. We should find out. We, we should be interacting that way. I, I think maybe that, that one simple question might just be a very simple and practical way to put in this general principle for all believers, mutual submission, how that could apply in our family. I think we just asked that, that question. That would probably do it. Now, I got to tell you, 
when you, mo when you least want to ask this question is probably when you most need to ask this question. So we need to get it out there. And, and again, this is one of those things that followers of Christ, this will be a little bit easier for us to do because we have this motivation that God's telling us to do it. Now, but if you're not a believer here, I'm telling you, this one principle, mutual submission, just and maybe practically applying that by simply saying anything, is there anything I can do to help? That that could change your relationships. Just that. But So you, you can test God on this. You can try that. And I believe it's going to help you even if you're not, in, if you're not a believer. But for followers of Christ, we, we don't really have any choice on this. That's what God calls us to do. And that's what we're supposed to follow through on. Now, a lot of people, because there's a principle in the Bible, mutual submission, they point to verse 21 and they say, well, it's submit to one another. So anything that he says in verse 22 about wives submitting, well, that doesn't mean anything. That's a total wash. It's not a total wash. What Paul is saying is, hey, here's how we should be. We should be thankful in all circumstances. We should submit to one another. He throws that out, but then he gives in specific instructions. So we have a general principle for all believers, but then we have a specific instruction for the wives. And that starts in verse 22. So Ephesians 5, verse 22. Wives. Be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands and everything. So we're called to this ideal. We have this general principle, submit to one another. But then we have this specific role, this ideal in marriages that God is calling wives to. And again, politically incorrect, it causes a, a lot of issues. But what's he mean by that? What, what's he trying to say? What, what he's saying is, wives, yield to your husband's leadership in the home. Does that mean wives can't be leaders or they're not called? No, nothing like that. He's just saying in the home there are roles. Wives yield to your husband's leadership. Now, why? Why would God, because this is kind of the feedback that I get, you know, when I talk to people. Why would God ask one of the two married people to submit to the other one's leadership? Well, I believe there's a couple of answers to that. First of all, I, I believe that men, that because God designed us and he knows all this, that I believe he's calling this because men have a natural propensity to want to lead. And what happens is when they cannot lead in the home, we, you see, I bet every one of you could maybe think of a couple where this has happened. If they can't lead in the home, then men tend to gravitate to other areas in their life and put in more time there where they're considered leaders. So that's, to me, that's why sometimes uh, you have the workaholic husband. He's not allowed to lead at home 
So he works 70 hours a week because at work, he's the man. At work, he's the expert. At work, he's the best salesman on the floor. At work, he's the guy that can get it done. At work, he has the answer. You need to go talk to him. And because of that, that feeds that need of leadership, then it just gets worse and worse and worse. Or if a man doesn't have that kind of a job, then he'll, he'll be drawn into leadership in other areas. He will be, become the best hunter in Sandusky County. And if you, if you want to know anything about duck hunting or deer hunting or this or that, then you go talk to this guy. He's the expert or he's the expert in guns or he's the expert in whatever it is. He's the hobbyist. He knows how to fix this engine. He's the guy that can do this. You want to know how to tie a fly? You need to go talk to him. And they, and they put all kinds of time into some hobby because that's where they get leadership. And so when they're hanging around the guys, everybody knows in this one area, this guy, he knows. He's the leader. He's the, the smartest guy in the room on this thing. And so they do that. When we, need, we need to create a vacuum of leadership. So that comes back. I know there's pushback on this because a lot of times I'll talk to wives and here's what wives will say. You don't understand, Kevin. He won't lead. He won't do it. And this invariably happens in marriages. When things get rough and your marriage gets a little sideways, many times one person, one if not both, one of the spouses kind of checks out of the marriage emotionally, intellectually. I mean, they're still there. They're still in the marriage. But sort of emotionally and intellectually, they've sort of checked out. I mean, their main life is focused about something that's not in the home. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You've seen this before, right? Thank you. One person is tracking with me. That, that's great. Yeah, that's, that's how that goes. That happens all the time. And, and so a lot of times, maybe most of the time, that's the man that's checked out emotionally and intellectually of the relationship. And so then what happens, he's checked out, so somebody's got to lead, so the wife starts leading by default. She has no choice. Something has to happen, right? But I'm telling you, in order to turn this around, wives stop leading. Sometimes I use uh, the illustration of of like the runaway stagecoach. You tracking with me? The old western, somebody's on the stage, the reins are dropped, they're dragging on the ground, nobody can stop, you know, and, and the horses are running full blast, and it looks like the thing's gonna tip over, and people are screaming, and somebody needs to be rescued. You know what I'm talking about, right? With me? Okay, here's what I'm saying Women, drop the reins. But you don't understand, Kevin. Stagecoach is out of control. The horses are running as fast as they can run. We're heading for a cliff. Yeah, drop the reins. Kevin, you understand, decisions have to be made. Things got to, he's not, he's checked out. I got to do something. Drop the reins. Drop the reins, and eventually he's going to go, whoa, we got a problem here. And he's going to grab them. But you have to create the vacuum of leadership so he, will, he won't take them from you. But if you drop them, eventually, probably not as soon as you want it to happen, he will reach down and grab the reins. Why? Because it's out of control. 
And then when he does, do not criticize the way he leads. Help him to make the adjustment. It, it's, it's gonna, it won't be exactly the way you would do it. It might not be as good as you would do it. Drop the reins. Let him pick up the reins. Let him get used to the reins. Give him some time. And you let him know that you support him, that you want him to lead, and that you respect him. And that will start setting this right back toward God's ideal. Men, taking loving leadership in the home is God's ideal for our families. And we need to do that. And then the other reason, people say, well, why? I still, you know, it just still doesn't seem right. I believe that God gave us this principle in order to protect the relationship. Think about it. Two people come into relationship, like a partnership or whatever. And as they come into relationship, there, there are thousands of decisions that need to be made, you know, every week or whatever. Things just have to be done. Invariably, once in a while, and usually this is pretty rare, but the two people disagree. There's a lot of little disagreements, but sometimes they fundamentally disagree on some big issue where a decision has to be made. I mean a decision like you have a job offer in another town. So this affects the whole family. And sometimes you'll have something like that and you'll discuss it and you'll try to figure it out. And as you do that, you both just, after you've heard all the information, that you both just end up not agreeing. It, 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 when you put it to a vote, it's one to one. I believe God has given us this principle of headship because the marriage is more important than any decision that you'll face in your marriage. And so there's a way to break the tie. So in this circumstance, it's one-to-one. You've got all the information out on the table. You've both discussed it rationally. You're trying to figure it out. You're seeking a solution. You just honestly come to do different spots. And then here, here's the deal. God calls men to step up make a decision, and take responsibility for the decision. So the man can step up and say, I really think it's best for you and the family to do this. Let's do it. we got to make a decision one way or the other. I'm saying let's do it. Or the man may say, you know, uh, I think it's kind of this way, but let's just do it your way. Let, let's just go with it. But if he does that, he owns the decision. So it can't ever be three years later. Well, you wanted to do... No, the man owns the decision, takes responsibility for the decision. It's his decision. And when this is working right, I'm telling you, I, I've seen this happen hundreds of times. You know, where you're just in there and, and a lot of times couples that get this... Boy, okay, we're just stuck here. Yeah, we know we need to do something, but we're, we're just split on this, one-to-one. One you know, a lot of times, women will just say, you know what? Make the decision. I'm with you. I'll, I'll follow you anywhere. Make the decision. Men, make it. Step up and own it. Eat, no matter which way you decide, your way or her way, own the decision. Then it's yours. Now, the problem is, why this is so tough in our culture is because in our culture, we equate submission with inferiority. 
In the Bible, submission does not imply inferiority. The best, and you can find tons of examples of this, the best example is Jesus Christ himself. Jesus exists eternally as God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God in three persons. Jesus decides in the plan of redemption of human, God loves us so much that the Son comes to earth and clothes himself in humanity. And when he does that, he makes the decision to submit to the Father. They're equal. But he submits. That's what Philippians is telling us about. He, he's equal with God, but he leaves and puts himself in submission to the Father. And so when he prays, for example, before the crucifixion, he knows this is going to be very difficult. He's not Superman. He feels this pain. And as he's praying, he says, nevertheless, not my will, but your will or thy will. Submission, no inferiority. He voluntarily places himself under the authority of the Father in this example. And that's the way it is with men and women. Okay, so that's the general principle And then the specific role of women in marriage, general principle for all believers, specific role for women in marriage. Okay, now, next one is the general principle of love and the specific role for husbands to love their wives self-sacrificially. So let's look at that. It's kind of easier to understand. Remember... Jesus, the general principle, all of us as Christians are called to love others. Remember, maybe the classic way Jesus pointed this out is they come and there's all these laws in the Old Testament and everybody's confused and they're not measuring up. They're not reaching God's ideal, so they're wondering what's going on. Jesus doesn't lower the ideal. He actually says, you don't really understand the half of it. It's actually up here. And so they ask, they're asking Jesus, well, which is the most important law? We have 600 laws. Which is the most important? And remember, Jesus not only gives them the answer, he gives them the second. He says, the most important commandment is to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And then he also says, secondly, the second most important commandment is to love people, yeah, others. Love God first, love people, all believers. So we get that we're supposed to love others. So that's a general principle for all of us As believers, we get that. Now, what's interesting about this when it impacts the family is no culture and no family within the culture had ever really operated like this. There was no standard. Before Jesus came along, it was might makes right. Before Jesus came along, it was the strongest makes the rules. That's just the way it goes. But Jesus... He comes along and says, if you have power, he flips it upside down. He says, if you have power, you should use that power to help those who don't have power. That's what God calls us to when he tells us to love others. Use what power and resources you have to love, serve other people. So now what's the specific role for the husband's? Loving self-sacrificially. Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wives 
just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. You know, a lot of times in premarriage counseling, I'll talk about which do you think is harder, submission or self-sacrificial love? And, and we get different, but I make the case, really, to me, there's a, anybody here with a job knows how to submit to somebody. Probably 99% of the people in our culture know how to submit. I don't think 99% of the people in our culture know how to love somebody else more than themselves. I don't think 99% of the people in our culture know how to love self-sacrificially. That's what God's calling us to. And again, this is, some people say, ah, well, all these, this whole submission, love self that was just a temporary thing for a specific culture that Paul was writing to. That's not true. We know that for several things. Number one, when you get to the submission thing, he didn't talk about that in Colossians. He just laid it out. No mutual submission. And he wasn't talking about that principle. He was talking about families. Same way with Peter when he talks about it. You know, so, and then not only that, he goes back to creation to say this is the way it should be based on creation. So before sin, before the fall, he's saying this is the way that it should be. Women, wives yielding to their husband's leadership... Husbands practicing servant leadership where they self-sacrificially love their wives. The servant leadership role. That's what God's saying is ideal. Now, when this is practiced, a husband who's practicing servant leadership would never overrule his wife unless he thought it was something that was either destructive to her or to the family. I mean, if he is just convinced this is a bad thing, this is going to hurt her, or this is going to hurt us, then that's the only time a servant leader uses the leadership in that way. How many times, just to you wives, how many times have you been tempted to maybe help somebody or get involved in something or just do another thing, kind of maybe spreading yourself a little thin, where maybe your husband said, boy, I don't think you ought to do that. I think you ought to rein it back a little bit. And then later, with hindsight, you were glad that that, that kind of went that way. Anybody? Yeah, that happens a lot. It's that kind of servant leadership that we're talking about. You don't use headship selfishly. You don't use leadership to get your own way. You lose it for the good. You use it for the good of the family, the good of the relationship. And this is what kind of God's calling us to. And then, you know, some people say, well, why? Why is it that the woman has to kind of give up leadership? The man, all he has to do is love. I mean, they're in love anyway. Why is that? Well, I don't know. I, but it, it'd be like asking, you know, why, why did the son submit to the father? Why that way? Why not the father to the son or whatever? Maybe, you know, what's going on? It's just the way that it is. It's God's ideal. He created us. He created marriage. He's telling us this is the way it works best. God's given us different roles in marriage. And that's the ideal. That's what we shoot for. That's what's best for us. Because the relationship is the most important thing. And, and it can't be that any decision becomes more important than the marriage. 
it's got to be the marriage first. And it's so easy to derail relationships. Just any little thing. I I mean, guys, you, you could be humming along in your marriage. Things are great. And you're having a great day. And your wife walks in and she says, hey, I just bought this outfit. Don't you think this makes my, and then fill in one of ten body parts, look a little, you know, whatever, a big, this, that. You know, and it's like you get this question. And you're like, and the, and the correct answer is, honestly, as you could possibly say it is, no, it doesn't, honey. And then sometimes she'll push back. But really, I mean, right over here, don't you think that this, you know, doesn't, don't you think this just looks a little, you know, fill in the blank? And, and then guys, you know, it's the deer in the headlight. There's no great way to answer this. You know, so you say, I, 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 I don't think so. You just stick with your guns on that. If you haven't been married very long, you'll be out with your wife and another woman will walk by and you'll get this question. Do you think that woman is pretty? Now, obviously she does or she wouldn't have asked this question. So you got to know that first. But, but guys, let me just tell you this. There's only one correct answer. This is where it gets tricky. There's actually only one correct answer to this question. Do you, think this, do you think that woman's pretty? What's the one answer? Yeah. The only correct answer is what woman? <laughs> Any, anything but that, and you're in trouble. And, and it, it, so I'm giving you that for free. I'm just throwing that out there. If you don't get anything else from the day, if you just use that once, that's worth like four hours of talking about every female you've ever met in your life, you know, right there. We're different. We're just wired up differently. You know, God has given us different roles to make our marriages work and to keep them as a a priority in our life. Loving Servant leadership. Husbands, that's, that's what he's calling. Like wise managers, we need to recognize when our wife's experiences or knowledge exceed our own in any given area and figure that out and factor that in. It, we do this in a complementary way. And then Paul wraps all this up in verse 33. He's talking about Wives and husbands, and he's given us these roles. In verse 33, he says it this way. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife, even as himself. And the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. You see, both husbands and wives are called to follow God's ideal. And it doesn't matter where you're at. You need to... Recognize that standard, and the closer you can get to it. In some of these areas, people are doing great, and you're right up there by the ideal. But if you're not in any of these areas, you need to recognize that standard and strive to get up to God's ideal because your family will benefit. 
Don't give in to the temptation that you get tired of this, so you throw this out. And then all of a sudden, you don't have a north star. You don't have a compass. You don't have a way to make your marriage better. You don't have God's wisdom. You lose truth when you chuck that ideal. We need to get this right. Otherwise, we experience a downward spiral in our marriage. And you see it all the time. I believe God's given us these specific instructions because each of us has specific needs. And a lot of times when things get bumpy in marriages, when things get rocky, maybe the wife will respond to the husband in a way that he feels is disrespectful. And when he feels that, then he will naturally respond to his wife in a way that feels unloving to her. And then when she feels unloved, she reacts in a way that feels even more disrespectful to her husband. And when he gets that message, he tends to respond in a way that feels even more unloving to the wife. And now you're in this downward spiral and it's like nothing can pull you out of. And you're sinking. And you're both reacting to the other. And, and, and it's always kind of in the worst way. I'm telling you, well, the whole forgiveness thing that we talked about last time, clear the slate, shoot for God's ideal. I, I tell... Uh, couples this before they get married. I believe if one of you could nail this down and get right up against God's ideal on this, I believe it'll pr protect the marriage for life. If you could just do it consistently, bam. I think normally your marriage will go the distance. I believe if two people can do this, if two people can keep the ideal in their mind and strive for the ideal, I believe you will have the type of marriage that other people in your life will look to and point to and say, I want what they have. I want that kind of a marriage. And you will have the type of marriage where you are connected emotionally and physically and you share the same hopes and dreams and you're on journey together and it's a rush and you can't wait to get home to share your day. You'll have that type of marriage striving for the ideal. And you'll experience love the way God wants you to experience love. And he's the author, right? He's our creator. He made marriage. He gives us these principles. And really, it all boils down to what God says is most important, love. Love God first. Love others, especially those closest to you in life. If you've experienced God's love, you'll get, you'll get it. If, if you're not a believer, this is a little less natural to you because you don't have the same motivation. Still do it. It'll still work in your life. If you can put these principles, just these two principles, into effect in your families, I believe they will help your families, believer or not. But as believers, we realize we don't have a choice. God is calling to this. And, and why would we want to respond to God's call? Because we know he's loved us more than anyone's ever loved us. 
When we were conceived, he loved us. When we were in the womb, he knew us, Scripture says. When we, was, when we were born, he was there. He's loved you through everything in your life, things you don't remember. When you've had great relationships, bad relationships, good parents, bad parents, sibling stuff, good, bad, romantic stuff, in and out of all those relationships, God's been the constant. He's the one that's loved you consistently your entire life more deeply than you ever realized. His love is stronger than the mountains, deeper than the ocean, limitless like the sky. God loves you. He knows you personally, and he loves you more than you can ever comprehend. And he offers relationships. He offers to be connected with him. Sinful us, we, we have this offer to be con connected to a, a righteous and holy God who loves us. But that offer came as a cost. That's God's self-sacrificing love. Jesus came and died on the cross to pay our individual sin penalty that's kept us separated from God. It's the right, just penalty that we all owe. And that penalty is separation forever. But Jesus suffered and died to make a way for us to be in relationship with a holy and righteous God forever. If we just respond to his offer of love and forgiveness. We're going to wrap up. If you have any questions about that, which is the most important decision in your life. Uh, if you have questions about that, uh, the pastors will be in room one. We'll be happy to talk with you. If you want some stuff to kind of read through just to get that simple little pamphlet that's just five-minute type stuff so that you can just look at in the privacy of your own home, we want to give that to you too. If you don't want to talk, we'll be happy to give that to you. God's shown us how to love. Let's stand together. Father in heaven, we thank you for who you are and what you've done for us. And God, that you've shown us what love is. And you've shown us that, that love always gives. It always costs. It's always sacrificial. That love isn't just words. It's action. God, thanks for loving us like that. And Father, for those of us here who are believers, we know that our, our natural response response has to be that we would shoot for your ideal, that we would want, that we'd have the desire, we would want to follow you in every area of our life, especially the areas that involve those that we love the most, our family. Help us to get it right. Strengthen us like you say you will. Strengthen us to do the right thing. And Father, for our friends who are here with us who, who are not believers, Father, I pray that they would also benefit from these principles, but most of all, I pray that they would come to the point in their life that they would experience your love like we have. Uh, there's no difference. We're all sinners. Lord, help them to receive this, this gift. God, thanks for loving us. Thanks for giving us instructions. Thanks for guiding us through the, the messiness of life. No matter where we're at, that you call us to your ideal, Lord. Thanks. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hey, thanks for being at Grace. See you next week. You're dismissed.